Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Wednesday. Doing another show. We've been doing one a day most of the last couple weeks just with so much going on around the USC football program. Today, we're going to talk recruiting. We haven't had our buddy Gerard Martinez on for a little while, so we want to bring him on. Talk about recruiting. USC obviously not off to a fast start in football. How does that impact recruiting? He just released uh, new target lists, which are great resources up on uscfootball.com. You should certainly check those out. If you have any questions for us, podcast at uscfootball.com. Or if you want to leave us a voicemail, a couple ways to do that. Call 641-715-3900, extension 816-646. Or you can go to our website, peristylepodcast.com. Click on the left side of the page. Uh, if you want to subscribe to the show, you can do it on iTunes, itunes.com. Slash Peristyle Podcast is our permanent home on iTunes. We're also on Google Play, Audio Boom, Stitcher Radio, a lot of different ways you can check out the podcast. And uh, I want to bring in Gerard because it's been a little while. We haven't got to talk recruiting. It's been all about this, the team and the changing quarterbacks and all this kind of stuff, but recruiting's still there. It's not the, maybe not the most important time of the year for recruiting, but there's still stuff going on. So I wanted to bring you on, Gerard. Follow him on Twitter at Gmart Live. What's up? How you doing, man? I'm doing good. Yeah, not um, the the hot time for recruiting, but like you said, uh, certainly the the season and and how the team is performing does have an impact on recruiting. And USC is actually out there recruiting pretty hard. Uh, the one thing that we have seen with this coaching staff that we hadn't seen with previous coaching staffs is that this coaching staff is actually out there on Friday nights and they're actually doing evaluations when they have uh, home games or even with the Stanford game because that's not too far away and. You know, it's a quick flight up uh, to Palo Alto. Um, some of the coaches were actually out Friday uh, looking at some kids and, and doing some evaluations. With previous coaching staffs, uh, they usually had team meetings on Friday nights, and so the coaches wouldn't be out unless it was a bye week. So that's been, you know, interesting, a, a change uh, sort of in strategy and philosophy with the recruiting process. And so, I mean, the coaching staff is still out there really keeping up their communication with kids. Um, kids still say that, you know, they talk to USC as much as, if not more, of um, the coaching staff and, and having communication than other Pac-12 schools. Um, so, you know, the recruiting process still chugs along. Um, certainly uh, there's definitely going to be some impact, though, uh, from a losing season, and I'm sure we'll talk about that and maybe even have some questions about that. All right. Um, before we jump into everything, Drew, I just wanted to thank our sponsor for this show, uh, MyBookie.net. I'll give you a little more information Later on the show, but they have a promo code for USC fans, promo code Trojans. So it's mybookie.net. You put the promo code Trojans, you'll be entered into the million dollar prize pool. Uh, or you can call them and sign up 844-722-2387. It's free. It's, uh, for fun. Uh, I got to put my picks in for this weekend. Um, they did pretty well last week. I think it was, uh, two and one against the spread. So not too bad, but we'll talk about that a little bit later on the show. Um, Gerard, maybe we could start off with, uh, the target list that you put up. And so if people don't know, breaking down every position on the offensive, defensive side, uh, it's a lot of categories, a lot of, uh, color coded stuff. Gerard does a great job with these tables, but it's a, 
it's a wonderful resource if you kind of want to see uh, what's going on as far as USC recruiting and stuff. Uh, maybe kind of give an update. You try to update these once a month. What are some of the, the highlights, I guess, from the, the update you put up recently? Well, obviously with the season kind of going the way it's going, uh, you're going to see some of these out-of-state uh, recruits that USC has been focusing on during the spring and during the summer. Uh, there becomes less chance of those kids really seriously looking at USC. I don't doubt that even with you know a, a, a season where you're going to be losing five, six games, the USC can't still pull in some top flight talent for official visits. It's Los Angeles, and kids want to come out and see Los Angeles. Uh, but when you're talking about how serious they are, you know, is USC really among the top two or three programs that they're considering? I think that becomes less of a possibility. And so you're seeing some of these guys slide a little bit. Probably the two offensive targets that uh, there was maybe a, a shift with that USC fans sort of noticed the most was uh, probably, I think the one guy is Austin Jackson, uh, 6'5", 285-pound off to tackle from Phoenix, Arizona, a guy that uh, has been you know sort of labeled the Trojan legacy. His, dad, his grandfather actually played at USC. Um, and, and a guy that was at Rising Stars camp, not this past summer, but the, the summer before, and actually got a scholarship offer from that Rising Stars camp. Um, he hasn't really been on campus as much as I think we projected he would be. We thought that, you know, this is a guy that um, certainly uh, with with his ties to USC and, and, you know, being pretty close, that he would be at some games and, and maybe just come to, you know, be around campus and take some unofficial visits. Uh, but to my knowledge, he's only unofficially visited USC once since that Rising Stars camp uh, really two summers ago and wasn't really on campus for very long. He was just kind of there to say hi and then was gone. Um, he's a kid that doesn't really like the recruiting process. He's been a ghost on the recruiting scene as far as, you know, trying to get interviews and trying to get updates from him in terms of his new scholarship offers and what official visits he might be taking. Uh, so he's been really hard to track down and, and kind of get information straight from him. So it's all been third-party sourced. But the feeling over the past couple months really has been that, you know, he likes Arizona State, that he may – indeed just stay home and go to Arizona State. And uh, you have Notre Dame, um, you have quite a few other schools that are also recruiting him, and, and he'll probably take official visits too. Um, even though he doesn't like the recruiting process, it, it appears that he's set to take all five of his official visits, which we'll see how that plays out. Certainly he could take a couple official visits, not like the attention, and, and, and sort of not like the uh, the kind of scrutiny that goes along with those official visits and opt out and decide to commit somewhere during the season we're really not sure at this point. Again, it's it's hard to get information straight from him, and that's always the best information uh, instead of getting it from third parties. Uh, so we'll kind of see what's going on. But uh, obviously with the transfer of E.J. Price, and that's something that just happened yesterday, uh, the freshman tackle from Georgia uh, deciding to transfer, at least right now it sounds like he wants to find a school closer to home uh, per Clay Helton. Um, that's going to be interesting to sort of see how that plays out. I know that through the recruiting process, uh, some of those SEC schools were starting to cool a little bit on EJ Price. Uh, there were some things going on, I think, with him, um, it just you know background-wise, and uh, I think some of the schools became a little frustrated, uh, maybe because he felt good about USC and, and was sort of leading them on. Um, but I've gotten some sources that had told me just you know during the process at that time that those schools were 
uh, a little frustrated with uh, the communication that they had with him and um, trying to recruit him. And so we'll see. Maybe he's kind of burned some bridges back home. Um, it seems like a little bit of an impulsive decision. He's young. Um, he's probably a little behind, I think, on the maturity scale, um, you know, comparing him to some of the other uh, freshmen that they had in this class. Uh, so, you know, Clay Helton said basically he wanted to look for a school closer to home. Uh, Keely, your our uh, videographer, and, and she's at practice and, and kind of talked about him transferring and, and actually kind of corrected herself and said that he didn't, you know, Clay Helton didn't say he was going to explicitly transfer so much as he wanted to look for a school that he could go to maybe closer to home because of homesickness. And again, it was labeled as homesickness. I hear that it's not totally homesickness. Uh, but uh, I don't want to go into detail about that right now. Uh, but that's a guy that obviously if he leaves the program, there's a left tackle that you've got to replace. There's maybe another offensive lineman in the 2017 class. And we talked about USC maybe taking five, possibly even six offensive linemen. Certainly that included a guy like Alex Leatherwood, who's committed to Alabama. At this point you would see uh, Alabama as being the clear favorite. And, and I don't know if he'd be a lock to Alabama, but certainly for USC, a pretty big long shot. Still a guy that could possibly officially visit USC because he liked USC so much when he was out here for Rising Stars. Alex Leatherwood uh, and and Marvin Wilson were both guys that had taken unofficial visits over the summer. And Alex Leatherwood was actually talking about making two unofficial visits to USC during the summer. Uh, I don't think he made that second trip, but certainly he likes LA. But considering USC seriously as a football program, after playing Alabama and being completely dismantled by Alabama, it's hard to rationale that he would think, oh, yeah, I'm going to go to USC. I'm going to pass up Alabama and go to USC. That that seems hard to to uh, to, to project. So, um, you know, USC still getting five in this class is, is very doable. Uh, it would be a good offensive line class, I think, regardless of the amount of wins they have. I think that's the thing that, you know, the, the fans get hooked in on wins and losses, and every loss is, you know, you're going to lose X amount of recruits. It doesn't really work that way with recruits when you talk to them. But it's really more about the instability and where the program is at the end of the season. Um, is Clay Helton going to be the head coach next year? Uh, are they going to bring in somebody different? When you're talking about out-of-state recruits, you're talking about them projecting a certain amount of stability in a program and a certain amount of, okay, I understand what the philosophy is going to be. I understand the people that I'm going to be with. This is going to be my home away from home. I have to have just a certain amount of comfort with that situation. And when you have instability and you have people saying, fire the head coach, oh, yeah, we don't think the head coach is going to be there. And I say people, fan base, media, friends, family, there's all that kind of stuff. Kids hear all that kind of stuff. They, they read Twitter. They read the Internet. That is, you know, just quicksand uh, for commitment. It's just one of those things that you, you just there's nothing to really build on. And the coaching staff is, is really going to be spinning their wheels on these guys that are out of state. So we kind of have to see how that plays out. I, I think they can have a good offensive line class, which is local recruits. Is it going to be an elite offensive line class where you have guys like Austin Jackson and you have potential with some out of state guys? That remains to be seen. So that was kind of a big guy that, you know, people saw his interest go from high to medium. Medium is basically USC has a good shot of getting an official visit from this prospect. High is they're in his top two or three. And so that's basically the difference. Another one that was pointed out was Stephen Carr, the five-star running back from Summit High School in Fontana, uh, a guy that we've actually labeled as a soft commit for quite a while now. And there's been some talk and 
Um, his seven-on-seven coach, Armand Hawkins, whose son is on the team, Chris Hawkins, who recently got benched and is, is now not the starting safety, has made some comments about Stephen Carr maybe not being as solid to USC and looking around. But that's something that we've seen for a while. I mean, that, Stephen Carr has, has admitted, you know, I'm looking at other schools, I'm going to take my visits, keeping my options open. He really likes USC. Uh, his mom wants to keep him close to home. But, again, we're talking about stability. We're talking about, you know, what what program is he walking into? Is he walking into one where the, you know, running backs coach is Tommy Robinson and the head coach is Clay Helton and he understands those personality, he understands what their offense is, or is there something that we don't know that's going to change in that situation? And, and so he's got to look at that. So that's a five-star guy. He's kind of the, the gem of USC's recruiting class, a, a very, very good running back, uh, but a guy that is going to look around and weigh his options and, you know, see what else is out there. But that has been something, as I said, we've known for a while. But I think, you know, it's just one of those things that gets reiterated and USC fans get nervous about it again. Um, the uh, So lots of good information there. It was mostly from the offensive side. Anything on the, the defensive side of the target list that uh, stood out to you? Well, yeah, Levi Jones is a guy that has been very high on USC. And, again, you're talking about an out-of-state recruit from Austin, Texas, You've got a lot of those Big 12 schools that are on him, Texas and Oklahoma. He has offers from all those schools. And it's just the certainty factor of, you know, am I walking into this situation that I saw when I unofficially visited during the spring, or is there going to be different coaches there? The more losses, the more potential there is for a change with the coaching staff, and that is what hurts recruiting, especially out of state. You know, those kids that are out of state are not necessarily diehard I want to go to USC because my family went to USC or my family were Trojan fans, et cetera, et cetera. It's more of the opportunity of I feel like I'm going to get great exposure there. It's good education. I like the coaches. Uh, I want to get to that next level, and I feel like L.A. is the type of city where I can be prepped for all of that. And there's even kids, you know, here's an example of a kid that, you know, I interviewed about just USC and their season in the Alabama game who really – didn't look at wins and losses as being important at all. Didn't really even talk about the coaching staff being that poor, that important. And that was Kayvon Thibodeau. Uh, Kayvon looked at it as, you know, USC is a school that puts a lot of guys in the NFL. And that is my ultimate goal, playing football, is to get to the NFL. And as long as they have a coaching staff that could put guys into the league and they've shown that they have guys getting drafted, then USC will be a school that I consider. And it was just as plain as that. And this is a guy with a 4.0 GPA. He's a kid who wants to be a lawyer. He's not just a completely focused football guy. He is young. I mean, we're talking about a guy who's just a sophomore now at Dorsey High School, tight end defensive end, 6'5", 235. He may be the best player in that class. But he's not your normal uh, sophomore high school football player in terms of maturity and, and thinking things through. But he was being honest and he was being very candid and saying, you know, USC is going to be a school that I look at as long as it's a potential form uh, for NFL uh, teams to, to to watch me and, and to be potentially drafted from. And so that's a big play with a lot of recruits as well. But when you start to get farther away, you realize that the families are also a big part of the process. And mom and dad, specifically mom, doesn't want to send her send off to go play for a staff that may not be there next year. And, and, and quite frankly, there's always that potential with college football that, you know, assistant coaches and coordinators, they come and go. You know, they go to different schools. And you really shouldn't go, for, go to a school for a coach 
because that coach could end up at another school in the blink of an eye after signing day. We've seen that time and time again. You should be going there for the school and the inherent advantages you feel that school gives you. But again, we're talking about kids and we're talking about a process that is a very emotional. And when you build relationships with people, that's sometimes the, the, the most sure thing that you know as a family. So when that's gone or there's that's in jeopardy in terms of, you know, staying the same, when you're that far away, you're in Texas, you're in Florida, wherever, it becomes that much harder. I mean, I've, I've said it time and time again, and I'll repeat it. Uncertainty kills out-of-state recruiting. And the more losses USC has, the more uncertainty there is with the coaching staff. Yeah, the, the uncertainty is there. And, and so I, I think it's clear. We, we want to talk about, I mean, we want to get the target list update. But USC fans, um, you know, not happy right now. It's it's funny, the Peristyle message board, there's, there's some sense of harmony because a lot of people, most everyone's kind of on the same side here. There's not like two you know, sides fighting about this. They're all upset with the direction the program's going. There's a lot of talk about how soon can you replace Clay Helton, even though he's, you know, what, five games into his, uh, you know, being the permanent head coach at USC. Um, I think Friday's a really key game for sure because it, it's only going to get worse if they end up losing to Oregon, to uh, Utah on Friday. Um, and so, from the recruiting side, Gerard, it's different than the fans. Like the loss doesn't matter as much. You talked about the uncertainty, but I think there's also an opportunity too. Sometimes you see a program that's down and a player might say, I can go in there and, and get playing time and play right away and contribute. So I think sometimes fans look, think recruits look at the losses the same way they do, but it's, it's pretty different. Yeah, they don't. They, they're not as emotionally invested. Um, in the losses as fans are, for the most part. Now, there's some recruits that, that are, but a lot of them just aren't. They're, they're a little disconnected from that. And, again, they're, you know, 16, 17 years old, and, you know, something that happens right now, five minutes from now, they forget, and they're on to the next thing, too. So um, the attention span is not the same as it is for grown folks who are focused on something and have this, you know, passion for a single thing like USC football. So it definitely is different. And they're looking at the school for different reasons and the perspective of, you know, why I should go to the school is totally different. And they definitely take wins and losses differently. It's just, um, you know, the Alabama game, none of those kids that were committed uh, really had any big negatives to say. A, a lot of them felt like there were just some little things that needed to be changed for them, for USC to, to, to kind of bounce back and be able to have a good season still. And obviously you and I look at it and go, eh, there's more than little things that have to be changed when you get beat by Alabama 52-6. to Yeah, Alabama is a great team, but uh, you don't get blown out of the game like that with that much preparation, that much time to prepare for a single team uh, unless there's some, some, some real issues with the philosophy and, and things going on with the coaching staff, and those need to be changed. And so we all have different perspectives. The fans have different perspectives. They're more emotionally invested. We have a different perspective just analyzing the team and sort of what is working and what's not working. And then the recruits themselves have different perspectives. But um, I think, again, you know, Clay Helton has done a very good job of being personable and being a guy that uh, the kids – have a real a real positive feeling about um they all really talk highly of him i think those that have you know sat down and had those conversations with him uh feel like uh, clay helton is a is a player's coach um you know right now what we're seeing with with guys like ej price transferring and you know rumblings like there's more transfers 
I, I think you're getting the sense that maybe Clay Helton at this point is trying to put his foot down and sort of trying to assert some more control over the team than maybe he has in the past. I think maybe in the past he's sort of been that player's coach maybe to a fault. Uh, he's allowed the players a little bit too much free reign, and now he's sort of trying to get back control of the team to some extent. Whether you can do that at this point, you know, you've sort of laid your bed as a, as a certain type of coach, as a, as a good guy that's going to listen to you and, and kind of give you, you know, breathing room to, to kind of be the player you want to be, as opposed to, hey, this is how it's got to work. You have to do it this particular way in order for the machine to go. I don't know if you can all of a sudden, you know, flip your philosophy and be that guy. Um, I, I think that's sort of some of the unrest that we see now, some of the, sort of the, the, the you know, we've got to change quarterbacks, we've got to do things. There just seems to be some, uh, some, some inner struggle right now with the football team. And certainly if it's, uh, if it's really a big issue, we're going to see it rear its ugly head on Friday against uh, Utah. Um, and if it's something that he's been able to kind of get control of and has been able to make some adjustments, uh, and we're talking about in the locker room, we're talking about chemistry, we're not talking about just – you know, the playbook here, we're talking about really the more important thing of the team is just the pulse of the team. Uh, if, if they're able to win, you know, Friday and they're able to beat Utah, then you start to go, okay, well, he, he's, he's been able to sort of change things. He's seen where there's been some errors maybe in his ways of, of, of handling the team and certain players and certain personalities. And going forward, you know, he's going to be able to uh, steer them in the right direction. And I think I agree with you that, you know, Friday, the next game is always the biggest game. I mean, that's just a cliche thing to say. But certainly Utah is, is, is more of a 50-50 winnable game for them on paper uh, than the Stanford and Alabama games. I, I think the thing, and again, the fans sometimes get just wrapped up in the moment and I always say, you know, it's it's – uh, not as good as uh, or what's the, I can't even remember the saying anymore. Um, it's not as bad as it seems, or as good as it looks, or whatever it is. Uh, sometimes you got to just kind of take a step back from the moment, and, the, and it's hard for the fans to do that, especially get on the message boards and everybody's all riled up. Um, but you you kind of have to sort of look at this, you know, bigger picture wise, and see if uh, you know the 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 team itself isn't just you know kind of wrapped up in the moment. And a win can sort of change things, you know, really quickly. And, you know, going into the season, Alabama, I don't think a lot of SC fans felt like, oh, yeah, we're going to beat Alabama. You know, we're going to beat Alabama. I thought USC would definitely be competitive against Alabama. I was surprised at how they really got blown out and weren't competitive in that second half whatsoever. That that surprised me. That That's, that's a new one for me, watching USC play. Um Stanford was going to be a tough game. Again, I think it was just the competitiveness. I think it was, you know, getting beat 27-10 when it could probably get them in, you know, 34-10. I think that's the issue for USC fans is not being competitive in these games. And against Utah, certainly that is a winnable game preseason as we're sitting here, you know, in July or June and we're talking about the schedule. A lot of SC fans said, you know, it's going to be tough to, to win, you know, to, to be undefeated before 0 that's going to be a tough stretch for us. Well, you got to go back to July and June and remember you said that. You know, you remember it's not, also it's changed now because they have lost and they've been uncompetitive. You still have to look at it as okay, yeah, they lost those two games. They beat Utah State. Can they beat Utah? Utah is a game that they that's going to be a tough game, but they should win more so than even Stanford and more so obviously than Alabama. So we'll see what happens. We definitely will. Um, I want to. Uh... Maybe give you a little bit of hypothetical thing here where 
I think Friday's a really key game because when you looked at the opening schedule, the people that didn't feel that Clay Helton was the right guy for the job were like, look, USC is going to start one and three. And when you look back, you're like, you know, that's not it. You know, I would tell people it's not a, it's not negligible. Like there's certainly a decent chance that USC could start one and three because you play Stanford and Utah six days apart, the two toughest teams in the Pac-12. Brand new coaching staff. You're just not really sure what to expect. Now you got a new quarterback on a short week, blackout. I mean, there's a lot of things going against USC and there's, there's things going in USC's favor too, because they, you know, they beat them handily last year and derailed their season. Uh, they can try to do the same thing this year. Um, but to me, it's a really key kind of game, but you know, like worst case scenario, they lose to Utah, which they're not a favorite, you know, on the road. Um, you know, you're, you're talking about Arizona state that's looked you know, they've, they've done okay. They didn't look good against UTSA, but they're running the ball better. Uh, Colorado looks better. So even the middle of the schedule, those teams in the Pac-12, Cal, you know, put up about a bunch of points. Um, and then the, everyone knows the end of the schedule is really bad with, you know, Notre Dame and Oregon and UCLA, um, you know, Washington. There's a, there's a lot of tough games left, Gerard. If this is a team, that finishes under 500, which I don't think a lot of people felt was going to, you know, happen or be a possibility. It certainly looks like a possibility now. Um, is, does that change things? Does it get for the recruiting side of things? Does that make it even worse or is that a little bit? I mean, what, what does that do for recruiting if they finish under 500 this year? Well, no recruit has ever said, yeah, I want to go play for that head coach that I'm not sure is going to be there next year. Uh, that's never happened. So the more losses, as I said, is the more possibility there could be a change. And that brings uncertainty. And that's obviously going to hurt recruiting. It, it is going to hurt recruiting. Um, the losses themselves don't help recruiting just because you're not displaying a philosophy, a playbook, uh, anything on the football field from a performance standpoint that inspires kids to want to play for you. I mean, that's just an obvious thing as well. So it, it is sort of a, a double negative in that your, your performance, the things that you're trying to put on film that are recruitable. Hey, look at, we got Juju Smith, uh, you know, 20 catches in this game or, you know, look, our receivers are, are all over, you know, 500 yards receiving. They all have such and such touchdowns. Our quarterback. Yeah, man, he, he's thrown for, you know, 2000 yards here and, and it's, all the things statistically that you can point to as a coaching staff and say, here's why you want to come play with us, they are obviously limited. If you're losing games like that, you're not putting up great statistics. And so that becomes a bit of an issue. And then obviously, like I said, the uncertainty issue. It's really what USC does, it, it's really up to the administration. People that have followed USCfootball.com and the Peristylers, it was – when Lane Kiffin was hired, I think people felt like they didn't like Lane Kiffin because of the personality conflicts that he had when he was at USC as an offensive coordinator. But there was an understanding that the reason Mike Garrett hired him was continuity. Mike Garrett wanted somebody who understood Pete Carroll's philosophy and Pete Carroll's scheme and the way Pete Carroll did things. It was a winning formula, and they wanted somebody that had that winning formula. And one of the guys that was closest to Pete Carroll on that coaching staff was Lane Kiffin. So it was understood. Now, Lane Kiffin had a divisive personality and the type of personality as a young coach, he just didn't know how to sort of deal with the locker room and work 
with people outside of the locker room to where he could lose games and still maintain his job. He didn't have the Rick Neuheisel factor. He wasn't charming. Being a likable guy can get you far sometimes. It can definitely extend your contract in college football. Uh, so, you know, USC fires Lane Kiffin unceremoniously and kind of bizarrely at, at, at LAX, and then they go and they grab Steve Sarkeesian. Steve Sarkeesian, for a lot of USC fans who are paying attention, this is where the questions were not about the head coach. The questions started to go up the chain of command, and they started to lie on the shoulders of Pat Hayden. It wasn't so much, why are you hiring Steve Sarkeesian? It was, why did you, how did you go through this process of being able to come to the conclusion that Steve Sarkeesian was the guy for the job? Steve Sarkeesian on paper looked a lot like Lane Kiffin. Now, us that knew him kind of behind the scenes knew that he was a much like, more likable person in terms of personality. Um, and I don't mean for us because we had a great relationship with Lane Kiffin, but I mean for in front of the fans and, and sort of being that guy that is at the podium and has that demeanor of a head coach that, you know, personality-wise, uh, people will like and feel like he's an outgoing guy who's gregarious. Steve Sarkeesian had all those things. So basically you still were retaining some continuity with Pete Carroll, but you were bringing a guy in that was a little more of a personality that you could sell a little more. But again, the process was really the big question. It wasn't why Steve Sarkeesian, Steve Sarkeesian's terrible. It was how did you get to the point where Steve Sarkeesian was one of two guys that you were interviewing at the end of the process? The other guy being Chris Peterson. And I can say this confidently, the consensus, and this is a big word to use, and I don't use it lightly, the consensus among USC fans was take Chris Peterson over Steve Sarkeesian. Like if that's your two choices, all of USC fans were saying, we want Chris Peterson. And that's, 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 again, a consensus, which is a lot, saying a lot, because everybody has their different opinions about offensive philosophies and how a coach is and in terms of how he handles his players and how he deals with media and all these different things. But I think a lot of USC fans were like, yo, Chris Peterson's got to be the guy. But USC decided that it was Steve Sarkeesian. And in hindsight, talking to a lot of sources, we've come to the conclusion that it was kind of Steve Sarkeesian from the get-go. So, again, the criticism starts to creep up the chain of, chain of command. You're not so much questioning Steve Sarkeesian. You're questioning why are the guys that hired Sarkeesian hiring Steve Sarkeesian? Now we're at a point where I think it's creeping beyond the AD. Yes, people are very critical, and they feel like, you know, Pat Hayden was a complete uh, unmitigated failure as an AD, but now it's like, who are the people that hired Pat Hayden? With the people above that that are allowing this to unfold to where somehow Clay Helton became the only candidate for the job and he was hired. That's the bigger question. So when we talk about instability and certainty, it's got to start there as well because USC can just hire somebody else and that other person is going to be questioned if it's not somebody that is going to come in and really be a guy that's going to micromanage and change the culture of USC. We've talked to, I've talked to too many people that have come and gone from USC in the last six years. We're talking about coaches. We're talking about administrative people that have told me the culture has to change at USC. And that's not the coaching staff. That's not just, hey, they need a new head coach that can run the spread. They need a new head coach that's going to be a defensive guy. They need a head coach that is going to be part of this new culture along with the administration. And so it has to be a bigger deal. You know, it's the, you know, the forest of the trees. We have to see the bigger picture here 
and not focus so much on Clay Helton. This isn't really totally only about Clay Helton. He is uh, a spoke in the wheel to some extent. And if if he's you know going to continue to lose games, yes, it creates uncertainty. But that uncertainty, in my mind, is going to continue regardless of 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 whatever. If the process for hiring another head coach uh, and a new staff is going to be the same as it's been in the past. Gerard Martinez breaking it down. Uh, yeah, it's uh, hopefully that gives you guys a better feel of what this rough start to the season, how it's going to impact recruiting, and we'll keep you know we'll keep you up to date on what's going on. Wanted to get to some questions, Gerard, but I wanted to, like I said, I wanted to thank our sponsor earlier. So it's mybookie.net. Check it out. So it's a free uh, site. You go on there. The the site's pretty cool. You go, you just create an account with your your uh, email address, and you can go on and and do live betting on football. Uh, all different kind of sporting events. I'm, I'm doing football, but it's fun. And even during a game, they have live, uh, lines that update. If you want to bet over under all this stuff like that, they have prop bets. So it's pretty cool. Uh, but go my, to mybookie.net and the promo code they have for us is Trojan. So just put Trojans in there. Uh, you'll be entered into their million dollar prize pool or you can call if you want 844-722-2387. So they got thousands of players playing online. So go on there. Check it out and sign up today. I've been doing that. So uh, I've, I've been getting my games right, Gerard, except for USC. I keep betting on, you know, <laughs> USC. I can't bet the- on USC. You'll be, uh, you'll be out of the uh, Publishers Hall of Fame. Yeah, well, just the, I thought they'd cover against Stanford. I was wrong. Um, and I didn't think they'd cover against Utah State, and they did. So I've been wrong both times on the USC game. So I'll have to see if I get this one right coming up with Utah. Um well, let's jump into. Oh, ye of too much faith and too little faith. Yeah, both in, you know the wrong times, both times. Um, let's go to. We got Joseph from Monterey. He says, uh, as always, love the coverage from you and your team with USC football. You were often my only link to the team while serving in the Middle East for a couple of years, and I was always uh, I was always able to feel close to the school. Well, thanks, Joseph. I hope, glad we could help you, and thanks for your service. Thank you for your service very yeah. much. He said, "This question's for Gerard. Uh, does he think?" There's any chance that USC could pull Najah Harris and Stephen Carr in this recruiting class. It's probably hoping for too much. And I know we haven't done terribly well in the Bay Area recently, but that combination really seems like a Lendale slash Reggie thunder and lightning combo that would dominate the Pac-12 for three to four years. They would be on campus. On the flip side, if he doesn't believe he can get both, does he have any concerns about us holding on to Stephen's car, Stephen Carr's commitment this year? Thanks again and fight on Joseph and Monterey. Yeah, tough question. The prediction questions become hard because you kind of trying to predict USC season and then predict what they might do at the end of the season with Clay Helton. Uh, so that's, that's sort of where we get into this point. Uh, there are some inherent reasons why USC would definitely be in it still for Najee Harris as crazy as it sounds. And I know there's, there's, people out there, especially opposing fan bases that might be listening to the podcast that go, yeah, right, Homer, Homer Martinez. There's no way that they could get the number one running back in the nation with the way they're playing in the season that they're having. Uh, but truth be told, there's still just some talk that, you know, Najee doesn't go out of state. And UCLA and USC are really two schools that have a shot at him by default, basically. Um now, you know, Cal's won a couple games, so, you know, maybe Cal could be in there as well, and Cal's not a school that, you know, as he's really talked about a whole lot, not a lot of people have talked about with him. Certainly that offense 
is not a, a, a great offense for running backs. It's more of an air raid offense where they're throwing the ball all the time. Uh, but certainly, you know, they can sell him on being, you know, the, the catalyst for them to run the ball more. Everybody's got an angle. Uh, coaches, you know, are always selling things. Um, and certainly with, with USC, um, they are run first offense. They haven't been running the ball particularly well. They've kind of used a few different running backs. You've seen Justin Davis in there. Aqua Cedric Ware kind of came out of nowhere to, to, to be kind of a leading rusher for them. Um, that's been a positive with Stephen Carr is that he's seen that he could come in and make an immediate impact. He feels like uh, watching a guy like Aqua Cedric Ware, who has a lot of the similar attributes as Stephen Ware or Stephen Carr, uh, Carr, though, is probably just a better player, I think, overall than Ocker Cedric Ware. I think with Cedric Ware, you have a guy that has great vision. Uh, he's a very good blocker. He, he really understands the intangibles of playing the running back position, and I think that's why he's gotten as many reps as he has. Um, he's probably the best pass blocker of the group of running backs that they have. And with Carr, he's similar like that. He's kind of a combo back. He doesn't do any one thing great. Uh, he's not, you know, going to be, he's not a 10-5 sprinter, so he's, he's not necessarily a guy who's going to be called in his speed back. He's not huge and overly physical, so he's not just big power back. He really does a lot of things well. He's got great vision. I would say maybe if there's one thing he does great is that his lateral speed is tremendous. He really can kind of sidestep tackles and move laterally really well uh, inside the hole and to the edge uh, to avoid tackles. And it does really a good job of not taking a lot of big hits because of that. Um, and he's got good size. He's about six foot, probably 205 pounds, going on 210 pounds. Uh, and I think, you know, once he's uh, in college, he'll be in that 215, 220 range. He's got very, very good hands. He's just all around a really, really good running back. So, you know, he's kind of like actor Cedric Ware, but then maybe a 2.0 version of him sort of. So he sees – you know, Acrocytic Ware playing with USC and, and, and doing some things at USC, and that makes him excited about USC. He's excited to play at home, and he's a Trojan fan, and his family are all Trojan fans, and he wants to play at USC. I think that's the thing that has to be emphasized here. A lot of these local kids that are top players, they want USC to win. They want USC to be championship team because they want to have USC as an option because it's close to home, and they don't want to go across the country to go to school. They don't want to have to go to the SEC where they're looked at as, yeah, this kid can't probably play. He's probably overrated. He probably surfs and skateboards. He doesn't know anything about football. People in the South think football out here is like this total oddity, and it's not for real. It's just like some Hollywood thing that we just do. So there's a lot of that sort of, yeah, I'd love to play for the home team, the team that I grew up watching. But, you know, when you – USC loses, and there's a lot of instability in the program, it makes it really hard to, to commit to that school. So does USC stand a chance of losing Stephen Carr? Yes, they do. They, t- they definitely do. Um, is, it, is it a great chance? I think that's really going to be determined after he takes some official visits and he goes and sees some other schools uh, and visits Michigan and visits Miami and, and sees these other schools in person and, and does the whole traveling thing and then has to sit down with his mom and really figure out, like, is that really what I want to do? Do I really want to go all the way there to play football because I think I have a better shot at playing uh, not just for a winning team, but uh, playing on a team where I will get the exposure I want to be able to go to the NFL. That's a big factor for all of these kids. And so that's a big deal for Steven Carr. With Najee, staying home is a big deal. Playing in a run-first offense is a big deal. Uh, being the guy uh, would certainly be a big deal. 
to answer the question at the root, can you get both those guys in the same class? I think it's a very, very slim shot. I just don't see it happening. I think there was maybe a possibility if USC ran the table and they would have beat Alabama and there just would have been all this momentum at the end of the season from the season, which can kind of create this sort of tidal wave of kids just like, yeah, you know, we can, we can play together. And I mean, Stephen Carr and Najee Harris in the same backfield is, is it's not even a, a lightning thunder Lindell Reggie. Lindell was sort of a, a, a good running back. He was an army all American but he was a four-star guy from Colorado that not a lot of people knew a lot about. He, he was a big power back that people thought, eh, you know, he's a power guy. Maybe he'll be a fullback. There wasn't the, the understanding. Uh, he didn't have the exposure that people thought he was this, you know, big-time, game-breaking, playmaking feature back. So he kind of came in under the radar to some extent. Reggie was the guy that a lot of people were like, wow, okay, yeah, this guy's dynamic. Uh, a lot of people thought he might be more of a slot receiver, however, when he was coming out of high school. I know for a fact that Pete Carroll actually looked at him as a receiver when he first began recruiting him. It was Kennedy Palomalu that kind of pushed for him to be more of a running back and to recruit him as a running back, which was really what started to help USC recruit him against uh, Notre Dame. And then you, everybody forgets the third guy who might have been the actual, the best kind of prototype running back at the time coming out of high school in that class was Chauncey Washington. That was the guy that was really like, whoa, don't, don't forget about Chauncey Washington. I mean, this is a guy that, you know, could end up being the best of the bunch. And when we watched those guys play back then in that fall camp, the guy that probably had the best fall camp was Chauncey Washington. I don't know if you remember that. I don't know if you agree with that, Ryan. Oh, no, yeah, I remember. I remember yeah. watching all those guys. Oh, he was a stud. Chauncey yeah. was like, wow. Yeah, he was a stud then. It was, uh, there was, a, that's when Pete Carr would have like 10 great running backs at the time. Well, so, and that was when he had three really good guys that could all do something different. So, you know, the problem with probably Najee and Steven to some extent is that there's more overlap there. And I think those guys would, would see each other and look at each other and go, uh, are there enough carries for two guys that are sort of similar? And that would be, I think, probably the bigger issue. Yes, Najee is like 6'3", 225, and he's a big guy, but he's not necessarily a power back. You know, he, that's, he's not a guy that's just going to sort of put his shoulder down and try to run people over. Um, they do have differences, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that Najee Harris and Stephen Carr are the same running back. They're not, but I don't know that they have enough differences to uh, keep them both in the same class or have them both feel like, oh, yeah, you know, I, I'm, I'm feeling like I can be confident to be the guy to get enough carries in order, like I said, to get exposure for that next level. That's a big deal for both those guys. We had a question from Lane in Las Vegas. Um, Lane Kiffin? No, it's Lane Adro in Las Vegas, Nevada. He wants to know if there's any uh, – Lane might be trolling the podcast. Lane, 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 you know – would put a pass lane to the podcast. He, he was on our like 200th episode, I think. I had Kiffin on the show, um, and he asked if he could be on the 300th, but he was no longer there. My <laughs> yeah, we'll put him on 300 anyways. We could yeah. do that. Well, we're past that now. I don't know even know oh. where we are now. Uh, okay, so my question is: Are there any recruits we can flip and have them come to USC? So, for example, to a Tagovailoa or even Najee Harris, who you just talked about. Thanks a lot. Love the podcast and fight on from Lane. Certainly, there's the possibility. USC has a great track record of flipping recruits. 
Um, and then, you know, when you have a season like this, there's a track record of them having commits flip on them too. <laughs> we all remember 2012. Now, as I stated, <laughs> I stated in the, I don't know if it was a war room or a podcast that we had, but we kind of talked about USC and, and after, you know, losing Alabama is one of those things. Well, you know, they've, the class at this point is not that 2012 class where you had a bunch of five stars and you had like the number one rated class with 18 commits where really all you had was to go downhill from there uh, once you started losing games. Uh, USC is at a point right now where I think they're hovering around 20th nationally in the rankings and recruiting, and they've got one five-star guy and a bunch of three stars and a bunch of guys that are not being recruited by major programs. I mean, a guy like C.J. Miller um, to, you know, really Auburn is the next school that has like a big, big offer for them. Um, just just don't have a, those abundance of big-time offers where the kid's going to be visiting all these other schools, at least at the time being. That may change for some of these kids. Um, you know, Jacob Lichtenstein is another guy that, you know, maybe, uh, you know, I think he picked USC over, like, Pitt, West Virginia, and Cal. You know, maybe he gets a, a couple big-time offers from Florida State, Miami, and all of a sudden that becomes a thing. But as of right now, uh, they don't have a bunch of guys that you would say, oh, okay, you know, they're just going to get recruited away and they're going to flip. Uh, especially those out-of-state guys where, you know, there's a lot more people in their ears about the season that USC is having or not having. Um, but uh, flipping other recruits is still a possibility. Uh, the quarterback position is going to be interesting to see how this plays out. Certainly with Sam Darnold now starting as a redshirt freshman, you know, maybe that has a, an impact in terms of a guy coming in and wanting to play right away. Uh, you know, with, with Max Brown there, you know, being a, a junior, if he had a big year this year, he could leave right away. And that would be something that a guy like maybe Tui Takavaloa would think, uh, uh, you know, oh, wow, I should, I, 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 USC, I could walk right into that situation. Now, granted, he's committed to Alabama where you've got a true freshman starting. Um, so that's obviously where a lot of SC fans sort of go, hmm, well, we still have a shot at this guy. But now that you have a redshirt <laughs> freshman starting, uh, you're kind of in the same boat as Alabama, but you lost to Alabama 52-6. Uh, to six. So, yeah, I mean, those two particular guys, it, it's tough. They're both committed to a school which you got blown out by. Um, but, again, that's not always the end-all, be-all. Uh, it's really, you know, where's the direction of the program, the stability of the program. Um, Tua is a huge USC fan. His family is a huge USC fan. I still – could see both those guys officially visiting USC. I could see those guys still officially visiting USC with USC only having five, maybe six wins. There's just, just USC still has that pull, but signing those guys is just, there's a big difference. And it's really, again, it comes down to what is the situation at USC? You know, who's coaching there? What is their philosophy? Um, and going forward, do those kids feel like they're in a position to, to, to win games and to look good on film for NFL scouts. That's, that's what it comes down to. And, uh, we just, we can't predict that right now. It's really sort of going to be in that weird situation of, um, it's almost when USC has an interim coach. It's sort of like, you know, Clay Helton walked in on the hot seat, M much like Steve Sarkeesian did, quite frankly. Steve Sarkeesian had not won enough games at Washington in order to come in and really expect a lot of patience from the fan base. And we talked about this. That was the thing. He had not built up enough credibility as a head coach to walk in and think that, well, oh, everybody will be patient. He should get his three, four years 
because he did this at this other program. All he did at Washington was bring them from no wins to being mediocre. And that wasn't going to – the USC fans were like, yeah, so what? You know what I mean? That, that's, that, doesn't, that doesn't impress us. You bring in a guy like Chris Peterson who's actually gotten to the point where he's bought a Boise State, had them in, in beating you know, teams like Oklahoma in the Fiesta Bowl and, and, and Oregon and, and all these things that he had done. He's got some credibility. He's got something on tape. He's got something on paper that says, I have been successful here. I stand on this. Give me time. And we'll get to this point. The last two coaches, and really the last three coaches that USC's hired, none of them have that. Lane Kiffin didn't have it. He was with the Raiders for a, a coffee cup of, uh, of time. He was with the Tennessee for not much more. There's only a year there. And then he's at USC. And it was just, there was, there was no real, like, empirical evidence. Okay, he's been successful somewhere. We just have to wait until he builds it up to where he built it up at this other program. Same with Sarkeesian and obviously Kelly Helton with no coaching experience as a head coach is in the same boat. So that's when we start talking about patience and we start talking about, you know, the stability and the, you know, all these things that come into play as to does USC make the call at the end of the day? Again, I, I go back to, you know, it depends on what the administration really wants and what they, how they view the football program at this point in time. Um, but also it's the context of, of who they hired and sort of, you know, what we can expect because again, it's, it's one of those deals in terms of, you know, the credibility, is there, is there, is there credibility there in, in the past of uh, what this coach has done? And that's why the fans are so impatient because there's just nothing there. There's no, there's nothing to look back on and say, Oh, well, you know, Clay Helton did this at Memphis. Well, he's an office coordinator at Memphis and Memphis wasn't that good. And then he was at USC and USC hasn't been good while Clay Helton has been there. So that's why the fans are so eager to say sayonara. Yeah. All right, one last one for you, Gerard. We'll let you go. Paul, another Vegas question. He says, interesting that the top two receivers in the next two high school classes are in the same school just down the road from us. So he's talking about Joseph Lewis and Jalen Hall at Hawkins High School. Uh, Joseph Lewis, class of 2017, and Jalen Hall, class of 2018. Obviously, we hope we can get them both. My question is, can a junior in the upcoming class take paid expenses official recruiting visits like a senior can fight on from Paul in Vegas. No, he can't Uh rapid fire answer. To that is no, uh, you can't until uh, you actually uh, are entering your senior year. And I think it's September 1st of your, your senior year to you actually can have those paid visits to schools. Right. Yeah. Um, but those are the two, those are like, he mentioned the two guys from Hawkins. Those are the two top rated uh, receivers, right? I mean, they're both studs. Those are the top two rated receivers. And um, USD still recruiting both. Uh, both were actually at the Utah State game, and they'll probably be at several home games. And another situation where you've got a kid, then Joseph Lewis, who, you know, he wants to look at USC. He wants to have USC as a school that uh, he can he can go to if 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 he wants to stay close to home and he wants to have his family, you know, there to go to practices and support him. I mean, there's a lot of advantages that kids feel in that and, and not just, you know, staying home because they, they like Southern California and they like Los Angeles. Um, but you know, it's just going to be one of those things. We have to see how the season plays out. We have to see what the administration's attitude is and towards giving, uh, Clay Helton more time and building the program. Uh, we have to see if Clay Helton himself can just turn things around. I mean, you know, there's always that potential that he turns things around and, and they win, you know, that, that in stretch of, you know, Oregon, UCLA, Notre Dame, Washington, 
Um, we just kind of have to sort of wait and see. So that, that unfortunately is where we are with recruiting right now. Um, I can say that unlike some past staffs that this staff is still working hard on recruiting. I mean, they still are in communication with all these kids. They're still going out to see them. Um, there's still uh, plenty of recruiting going on, but, um, everybody's sort of in a weird limbo. It's, it's, it's odd. I mean that, you know, Clay Helton is not really an interim coach anymore. He is the head coach, but there's still sort of that feeling like he's an interim coach in terms of at least the fan base and how unhappy and how uh, unsettled it seems it is with, with him. And um, he's a guy has got a five-year contract right now, as, as Pat Hayden uh, vehemently uh, told everybody in that press conference. It's five years. And so that's, that's something also from a financial standpoint that um, you have to keep in mind as well um, if USC is willing to swallow that. Uh, certainly, I don't, I don't. He's not, you know, making Nick Saban money at five years, or, or even uh, um, I don't even know if he's making Jim Moore money at five years at this point. But uh, it's still, you know, money that um, you got to put away. And uh, I think they got away from the Sark contract. I think Sark pretty much um, screwed the pooch on that. I, I don't think. Uh, I think that they, he was suing USC, and I think that's been dropped that lawsuit. Uh, Link Kiffin, I think at this point is probably. Uh, they think they've paid that contract off. So uh, I don't think they're necessarily tied up with other contracts with coaching so much. But still, you know, you're paying a guy five years off and he's only done one is is a little bit to con- consider at least. All right. Well, Gerard, great stuff. Thanks for coming back on the show. Uh, hopefully everyone enjoyed that. Uh, yeah, I apologize if... I mean, we didn't talk a lot about like every recruit and get into recruiting, but at this point, it's sort of important to kind of provide context as to why maybe recruiting isn't going to be uh, super focused and important right this second, just because, like I said, it, that word is certainty. I mean, you could make it a drinking game probably out of this podcast. We've said it so many times, but that's just one of those things that you, you can't necessarily go, yeah, they're going to get, you know, an official visit from this kid and he's probably going to commit. Because that kid, you know, in truth, may take that official visit, you know, for the Notre Dame game. But is he going to turn around and commit if, you know, they've lost that game and they've lost, you know, five other games already to that point? And, you know, the the, the, the crowd is booing at the home games and stuff like that. I mean, these are all the things you kind of have to consider when you're talking about these things and provide context for people so they really understand, you know, the bigger picture of, of everything going on and, and you know, not just uh, – you know, specific little events and, and, and looking at those in a bubble because um, you can't do that with recruiting. And, and certainly um, if, uh, if 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 Lynn Swan says, you know what, he comes out and says um, after the next game, win or lose, look it, Clay Helton's our guy for the next year uh, for sure. And, um, you know, we'll see after that, but there's no way, no how we're going to fire him. Then you kind of say, okay, this is what the situation is. And now the recruits know what the situation is. So now we can begin to talk to them like, okay, this is a situation. You know, let's, we can move forward. Uh, but as long as there's sort of that, we're not really sure what's going to happen at the end of the season, uh, depending on how the season goes, it's going to leave, you know, all of these things when we're talking about Najee Harris and Stephen Carr a little vague and a little blurry. Yeah, it will be. Blurry and vague. That's a good way to put it. All right. Well, good stuff, Gerard. Thanks again, and uh, we'll talk to you real soon. Awesome. Thank you. All right. Thanks. That's Gerard Martinez. Follow him on Twitter at GMartLive. You can follow me on Twitter at InsideTroy. Hope you guys enjoyed this show, and we will talk to you next time. Don't forget, Friday night, uh, USC in Salt Lake City. Take it on. 
the Utah Ute. So enjoy that. Enjoy. I hope you enjoyed the show, and we will talk to you all next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.